It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Over the past year, the pandemic has certainly taken its toll. The entire British people, it's been an epic of endurance and privation. And... Worst of all, in that time, we've suffered so many losses. But as restrictions ease and we see the first stirrings of shops and pub gardens springing back into life again, it's a good time to reflect on how, for some people, lockdown wasn't all bad. It was almost like the country went into lockdown and all of my external stresses disappeared overnight. It may have felt like life was on pause for much of the last year, but for many people, as we emerge from lockdown, their lives have changed profoundly. I made a, a very quick decision that weekend that I needed to look after my grandmother. She sacrificed a lot to look after me when I was unwell. I wanted to repay the favour in a way. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, COVID-19 the unlikeliest of opportunities. I'm originally from Northumberland. I trained to be a dental hygienist in the Royal Navy. Joined up in 2001 and served nine years and now I work as a civilian dental hygienist in private practice. That's Laura Thompson. After leaving the Royal Navy, Laura settled in the Forest of Dean in Gloucestershire with her husband Scott and daughter Amelia. I was generally a happy, contented person. I've got a good family life. I really love my job. Just kind of got on with life, really. But the autumn of 2018 brought a series of shocks and horrendous family trauma. October 2018, I lost my mum. It was three days after her 62nd birthday. Both my parents were alcoholics, so that was a, a tough time. And then three months later, I lost my dad. He was age 63. So I lost both my parents within three months to alcoholic liver disease. I'm so sorry. That must have been such a blow. Yeah, it was a really tough time. It wasn't expected at all. How did you cope? I don't think I coped initially. I think I just survived. It was a bit of self-preservation, I suppose, but self-preservation soon turned to, to self-destruction. I threw myself into work even more. 
I started working longer hours because I didn't want to let anybody down and had to take a little bit of time off to sort out funerals. So I started working really long days and just made sure that my time was occupied. Being a dental hygienist, it involves a lot of emotional labour. You've got to have your A game all of the time. I always call it my pocket smile. You know, I pull my smile out of my pocket stick it on my face and patients would never know anything was wrong really. Always cheerful, always happy, professional, just getting on with your job really. How was that working out? It was very hard work. I was working part-time but I suppose I was doing the same at home, keeping that brave face on, not wanting to let anybody know that anything was wrong, just said that I was grieving. But when I was at home, I was either doing a lot of exercise, I was walking my dog all the time, I was doing lots of fitness. You see everyone else getting on with their lives when you just feel sick inside. I started to withdraw, just felt like I just wanted to go and lie down in the woods and fall asleep and not wake up. That's how bad I felt. I mean, that sounds awful. Very dark days and very unlike the normal Laura. How were you getting from one day to the next? How were you coping? I was on autopilot. You know, my hygiene slipped. And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but there's days where I wouldn't even brush my teeth because I couldn't, I just couldn't face doing anything. And I'm a dental hygienist. That's horrific. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's not a great ad. No. I mean, that in a way just makes it so stark, just how tough and how unlike your normal life this had become. Until you experience it, you don't feel the gravity of it. And even at the time, I was in denial. I just thought, oh, I'm just grieving a little bit and I'm going to feel a little bit sad. Just felt under tremendous pressure all of the time. Listening from the outside, as a model, that doesn't sound like a sustainable way of living. It got so bad that I was actually physically vomiting before work. And still, I just carried on and thought, oh, you're just a bit stressed. It's okay. Just get on with things. And then it got steadily worse through the year. I was just burying my grief. And I think I just didn't want to have to think about anything. I wanted to go to work. I wanted to come home, be the best wife and mother that I could be. And it was an act. After almost a year of pretending she was okay, one morning, much like any other, the stress and trauma finally overwhelmed her. I was at work. I'd had two particularly difficult patients back to back. And then my third patient came in and she just said, how are you today? You're not yourself. And that was it. The emotion just came flooding out of me. I collapsed on the floor of my surgery. I didn't feel like I could breathe properly. I just cried. I just cried and cried and cried. But as it transpired, I didn't know at the time, but that lovely lady was a retired mental health nurse. She was just amazing. Needless to say, I went home and I was actually off work for for quite a bit of time. Did it sort of feel like you'd hit rock bottom? Definitely, definitely. I was having very dark thoughts. I'd like to say that I didn't contemplate suicide, but it was definitely in the back of my head at times. Not the physical action of it, but if I could just go to sleep and not wake up again, life would be so much easier. I'm so sorry. What was it like at home during this period? 
because I was trying to keep things normal, I don't think anybody else noticed, you know, putting a brave face on in front of my daughter. I think my husband just thought I was a bit down in the dumps. You know, he's a man. (laughs) He just asked me if I'm okay, And of course I go, yes, I'm okay. Thanks very much. And when you had that moment at work, that breakdown and finally feeling like this was as bad as it got, did that give you license to talk about it? The first couple of days, I just sat in our little snug with the door shut and had to just feel safe, I suppose. Didn't have to face the outside world until I was completely ready. And I remember going to see the doctor and he just looked at me as if to say, I can't believe you've let yourself get this bad. And even then I was thinking, no, he's not right. But I was lucky I was very quickly put into the NHS mental health system. Did it feel like a relief at that stage or or were you still slightly in denial? I was still in denial. I didn't want to take up somebody's time when there was somebody more needy out there. But I got to see the mental health nurse at the practice very quickly. She just listened and I talked and normally it's the other way around. Normally I listen to everybody else's problem. But even then, I wasn't 100% honest about how I was feeling, didn't want to be put into a box. I think that's what it was. You have depression, you have anxiety, you have depression and anxiety. I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't coping with life, even though I wasn't really coping. Around that time, the whole country started shutting down around you. I was due back to go to work on the 30th of March and then dentistry shut down completely. And I actually breathed a sigh of relief. I knew in my head I wasn't ready to go back into clinic. But it was almost like the country went into lockdown and all of my external stresses disappeared overnight because I knew that I would have time to heal properly and there was no pressure on me to go back to work. And at the time, that was my biggest anxiety was to put that pocket smile back on again when I wasn't ready. And what has that process been like? Do you feel like you've had enough time now and how is it how has it played out? All my family were at home. I was homeschooling my daughter. The homeschooling wasn't massively prescriptive, so we could choose things that we liked to do as well. We do formal maths, English, etc. in the morning, and then in the afternoon we decided to to tackle the garden. We had a huge brambly patch that had sat there for eight years and we'd done nothing with it. And I moaned about it every single year. Myself and Amelia set to it and dug everything out. (laughs) It was hard work. We'd go to bed every night, really tired. But now we've got a, a vegetable patch and we're growing vegetables. So even though I was still keeping myself busy, there was no schedule to it. Life was more relaxed it was quality time and it was breathing space. The only people I had to consider was myself, Scott and Amelia. We were spending lots of time out in the fresh air because there's less traffic, you're noticing more wildlife, um, Mm. hearing lots of birdsong and it was really quite tranquil. Lots of time for self-care, which was really needed at that time. A lot of people in lockdown have found themselves craving a garden for example you spent a lot of time in yours do you think that helped just the process of seeing the changes you could make in the course of a few days it was seeing a project from start to finish I think 
had I not had that garden space, I think I would have really struggled. I suppose it's a way of taking control again, because that's yeah. something you can fix. It is, and I'm a fixer, and I couldn't fix my parents, but I could fix my garden. And my dad was a really keen gardener. They always had a beautiful garden, and I suppose it, it was almost like a little memorial to them. Quite often I'd say, oh, look what I've been doing, Dad, look at this, you know, look how this is growing. It was cathartic, it really was. If it hadn't been for lockdown, if you'd got back onto that constant grind of being back at work, do you, do you think you'd have had a chance to repair? I don't think so. I almost gave up the profession. I didn't know how I could sustain the stress of work with how I was feeling at the time. Certainly that break did me the world of good. It really did. And and now I'm back at work and lots of motivation and loving being with my patients again. And how about life at home? How has that changed after a year of lockdown? We're kind of nearly back to normal. It's certainly changed the way that I consider life. I probably live a more simple life now, but definitely a happy one. Obviously, the pandemic has been horrendous in many, many ways. But for you personally, has it almost been a blessing? It was definitely a blessing in disguise. You just think, not only am I going to have to go back to work after having a breakdown, also going to have to go to work in the middle of a global pandemic. I'm very good at putting other people first, but I now know that I need to consider myself as well and give myself that time. Then I 100% believe it gave me the time that I needed to heal and to spend quality time with my family. Well, Laura, good luck with it. I hope you do hang on to some of those things. And I hope going back to normal just sort of feels much, much easier now. Thank you. Bye. Bye. For Laura Thompson in the Forest of Dean, lockdown gave her the chance to slow down, relieve stress, and to finally have the time and space to process the trauma she'd been living with. But on the other side of the country, in the bustling bars of Hoxton, as the threat of the first lockdown loomed, someone else was swapping a carefree bachelor existence for a life of responsibility. It feels like much longer than a year ago now. I was living in Hoxton. I was going out a lot at the time. I was going on a few Tinder dates. Me and my roommate, we, we didn't keep the flat as, as tidy as we, as we should have. The dishes were piling up in the sink. It was a fun life. And um, yeah, and, and I was enjoying myself. James Bloodworth is an author and journalist who originally hailed from Somerset. And that's where he was as lockdown was about to kick in. Like everyone, I suppose, I was aware of what was going on in Wuhan, this strange new virus that was being reported in the news. No one was really taking it as seriously as perhaps we should have been, because it still seemed so far away. But then around the middle of March, I'd scheduled a trip to go and see my grandmother in Somerset. Um, I, I would go and visit her roughly once a month. I'd go and stay for the weekend. It's unusual and, and rather lovely to do that so regularly. So my grandmother had mostly brought me up when I was younger. When I was a child, I used to get very bad asthma. I could miss three weeks, a month off school in one go because I'd have this debilitating asthma whenever I got a cold or got a flu or something like this. And so I would spend a lot of time at her house. And I also ended up spending, you know, weekends and school holidays 
at my grandmother's house. That was really my home. It was a nice place to grow up. I had originally wanted to visit my grand at the beginning of March. Naive as I was at the time, I said, I'll delay it a week, let this COVID thing blow over. I waited a week and uh, went back for the weekend mid-March and I only returned to London once more just to collect my stuff. And then I was in Somerset for exactly 12 months from then. A lot of people, even if they had set off for that weekend, would have gone back to London or decided to lock down elsewhere. What made you think, I'm here now, this is what I'll do? We weren't in lockdown yet, but it, it seemed this wasn't going to be just like the flu, that something fundamental was going to change in our way of life for at least a few months. And I just made a, a very quick decision that weekend that I needed to look after my grandmother. I didn't want her going to the shop on her own. I didn't want her catching this virus. A big part of me wanted to stay in London because that was where my life was. But without sounding too pious, I felt a sense of responsibility to look after my grandmother because she sacrificed a lot to look after me when I was younger. And I had such a joyful childhood as a result that I wanted to repay the favour in a way. As the year of the pandemic unfolded, how did James and his grandmother get on? We'll have more in just a moment. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something-year-old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. All episodes of Queenie premiere June 7th, streaming on Hulu. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As lockdown began, James Bloodworth abandoned his life in Hoxton and decided there was nowhere he'd rather be than hunkering down in Somerset with his grandmother, Peggy. She is quite a character, really. My granddad, her husband, died before I was born. When he was only 41, sadly, he, he passed away. So it was mainly me and my grandmother when I was younger. She used to enjoy dancing, going to shows and, and things. She still dances around the house. She's a Somerset person, so she's always lived around the area her whole life. And you've clearly always been close. Tell me a bit about your relationship and how it's changed over time. 
my relationship hasn't really changed that much. I moved in with my grandmother at 16 full time. So as soon as I was able to, I moved in properly. I was there until I went to university at 23. I've come and gone. So I've gone to university, then I came back for a bit, then I went to London to work as a journalist. I still go back on the weekends. So it's always been kind of a home base in a way. Given that you'd stayed there so much in your teens and later as well, does it feel like going home? It's always felt like going home and it it did feel like that during the pandemic. On the one hand, I wanted to look after my grandmother, but on the other hand, it felt like a safe place in a way. There were times when during April and, and May of last year especially, mm. it felt like everything was kind of imploding and it was nice to be surrounded by things from childhood in the, in the cottage with my grandmother, with all of the things I grew up around. Mm. That was the same. That was the same as it had always been, which was really reassuring in a way. Can you paint a little picture for us? What are you looking at when you're seeing all the things that you've grown up with? The sounds, the smell of the place. It's almost like a part of you, if, if that doesn't sound strange. It's, it's so familiar mm. that it almost feels, when you go back to it, it's like coming up for air in a way. Besides that, there's also the childhood possessions like my old Beano comics with Dennis the Menace and old cricket bats. The one thing about my grand's house is we have a lot of clutter. Sometimes I'll open a cupboard in the kitchen and a bunch of old butter tubs will just spill out on me. And it's like, <laughs> why have you kept all of these? My grand's, my grand's like, oh, we might need them one day. It's like, you we might know. need a couple. <laughs> we probably won't need 10 or 20. But then I start to, to throw those out. <laughs> Tell me a bit about your relationship with your grandma. How, how did that change over the course of the year? Because I suppose you were used to her looking after you when you were a kid and, and suddenly I suppose the roles have reversed. Was, was that tough? Yeah, it was tough, actually. Um, it's, yeah, so, I mean, uh, sorry, give me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because when you grow up with someone who's a guardian or a parent or something, you always have this kind of relationship where you're the child and they're the carer, they're the guardian, they're the adult. Mm. And even when you grow up, that's still there to some extent. So my grandmother, I would say nag. She would say remind me, but I would say nag. She will talk to me as if I'm as if I'm 12 years old still, as if I'm incapable of walking through the world and, and managing my, my affairs and stuff. And that can be frustrating, even though she means well. I'm in the position of the child still, even though I'm an adult. I don't really mind that. The, the thing that changed during my year at my grandmother's was because she's older now, she's 92 this year, I had to become an adult. I, I guess I finally grew up in a way. I had to really step up and look after her. Her memory is not what it was. She would sometimes forget how to use like the oven or the microwave or washing machine or, or television even. It did affect me for a while, having to mentally... Mm. adjust to my grandmother's decline in a way and yeah to, to accept that ultimately one day is just me in a way it's, it's yeah it's, it takes a while to, to get to grips with that what did what did you learn from Peggy over the year to be more patient I suppose she's much more patient than I am my grandma's like a very kind person mm. I don't mean just kind to me kind to anyone I remember I remember years ago, I came home and there was a guy who, who looked like his clothes were basically rags. And he had, you know, this long beard and like scraggly hair and stuff. And he sat at our dining table <laughs> uh, with this big meal laid out in front of him. And um, I was obviously like, nice to meet you. He's dressed like quite scruffy. He had like leathery, dark brown, like tan. 
I thought I must be someone my grand's known for a long time. And it turned out he was just a guy who'd, who'd been sleeping down the road on, on the street and she just invited him in uh, oh, for a wow. meal and stuff one day. And she saw this man who was worried he hadn't had enough to eat, so she brought him in the house. She sounds incredibly kind. Do you think she learnt things from you too? Probably to be rude to cold callers. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> this is like the... I give them both barrels usually. <laughs> and what does she make of your cooking? She seemed to like it, but I think she would often forget that we'd had the same dish four or five days before, so it would be fine. She likes to watch The Voice with Tom Jones and those programmes on a Saturday night. So I'd go out and get her a Chinese and then eat that with her so she could watch. But otherwise, we ate a really healthy diet. It was just a bit bland. I'm not going to win any Michelin stars. It's not, it's not <laughs> fine dining, but it was serviceable. How is Peggy now? My grand's kind of doing okay. We've got someone coming in to visit her uh, a couple of times a week at the moment, and then family members are visiting. She's actually doing okay. I nag her now. I phone up a couple of times a day and interrogate her on what she's eaten. Well, when he told us that, we couldn't resist. So we gave Peggy a ring. Hello. All right, it's me. Oh, hello. Oh, yes, okay. I was going to ask you, what was it like having me staying there for a year during lockdown? I loved having you, dear. I loved having you. And and we helped one another along a bit, I hope. (laughs) Because I would have been very worried if you uh, hadn't been here, I think. You know I've always loved you so much. And, uh, And we just helped one another, didn't we, really? Most of the time it was all right. It was obviously a bit stressful sometimes, wasn't it, with everything going on? Oh, I suppose it was, but um, I don't remember stressful times, really. I think about the good times, and you you were always thoughtful with me, you know, because I I must have been very annoying at times to you, a young man. No, no. No, I appreciated you coming down, uh, coming down to see me. I love my other grandchildren, but but I felt there was a special bond. I suppose it was I had you in in different circumstances, probably a bit, see. It's just how I felt. I loved you so much. I still do. I still do. I feel very close to you always. I did my best to look after to look well you looked after me didn't you and you looked after me and reminded me about things and um yes you kept a watch over me didn't you it was it was nice to come back like i i enjoyed like being there and, and spending time with you of course i missed you and i miss you now but i mustn't be selfish must i you know i'm 19 one now jamie I'm older, aren't I? So I think more about things. But I never worried about the COVID. Uh, no. I didn't want you to get it, really. I didn't worry about myself, but I did worry. You're young. You've got your life ahead of you. You'll get married one day, I expect. <laughs> and uh, and you'll be happy. Um, I don't worry about the COVID, really. I mean, I don't go anywhere much, do I? <laughs> no, but I mean, you should go around the block today for a walk, if you can. Well, your son's out now. I won't I... keep you on the phone now, but um, I'll phone you tonight, though, all right? I'll okay. phone you this evening, not late, but like earlier, all right? Like six or seven. Yes, okay, dear. And yeah. make sure you have enough to eat 
this afternoon. Yeah. Make sure you do as well. Yes, OK, I'll, dear. I'll phone you later, though, all right? OK, dear, you have something right. to eat now. Yeah, yeah, I'm having. I'm going to have a sandwich now. But I'll yes, be fine, okay. don't worry. I'll phone you tonight, all right? Yeah, bye. Did you miss being in London? I mean, a lot of people would sort of think, you know, you sacrificed quite a lot to be there for your for your grandma over the year. I, I really miss normal life. It, it was particularly hard because I miss that social contact. Sometimes you want to be around people your own age as well because it's it's more relatable in a way. My grand lived through the Second World War, so for her, COVID was not such a big deal. Perhaps it was for me in some ways. She turned 16 when the Second World War started. That helped with the perspective thing. Me whinging because I couldn't go to a bar with my mates or something. So that kind of helped a bit. For a lot of people, there was that sort of sense of, you know, life being frozen. All of the things you might have been doing, all of the bars and restaurants, the friends you would have been seeing, the days out. In a way, though, did you feel like you almost gained a different part of life that you wouldn't otherwise have experienced? There was a sense of life slowing down, which I, I do think, despite it slowing down for the spread of this virus and there being all this this hardship and, and misery in, in the hospitals and whatnot, the fact that life slowed down for a while, it was important to take advantage of that. There was benefit to be gleaned. We live in a tumultuous world where something like a, a virus can can upend everything. Nature can upend yeah. everything. And, and you know, I, I'm not the centre of the universe. The world is not built around me. And... I just felt like it was a time to put this selfishness on hold and rally around and look after people. And my grand had always talked about the war and stuff. I would be like sigh and be like, oh, here we go again, another like war story. And um, <laughs> she would always talk about how people, at least in her street, would, would help each other out more during the war. And she would reminisce a, a bit about that. Again, not to romanticise how we actually behave during COVID, but I do think yeah. most people did kind of rally together and try and help one another out and try to do their best to stop passing the virus on. And that was, in a way, that was, I found really encouraging. Yeah, I think you're right. As we're starting to re-emerge from lockdown again, do you feel like you've had a chance to think about your life and direction and all of those things that people say they don't normally get time to do? Did you spend much time doing that? I definitely feel like a slightly different person coming out of lockdown as going into it. It definitely has had an impact on how I think about things. I feel I have much more perspective now on what's important. I paint a quite idyllic picture of me at, in Somerset with my grandmother, but there were times when it felt like a, a living nightmare where we're kind of stuck in this fairly small house. Even someone who you love, like a close relative, you can become annoyed by and irritated by sometimes because you're in that close proximity all the time. I was in quite a dark place at times. I feel like a much more resilient person having come out. I don't want to romanticise hard times. There is an aspect of hardship, I think, which can foster a resilience in you because last year was easily the, the hardest year of my life and having come out of that relatively intact, I do feel much stronger and I guess a more rounded person. And being with my grandmother, I really realised what's important to me. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, dental hygienist and born-again gardener, Laura Thompson, author and journalist, James Bloodworth, with a special mention to his grandmother, Peggy. The producer today was Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. 
and sound design was by Gareth Isles. If there's a story that you'd like us to look into, if you have any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do get in touch. Send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.